Hey, contributors, we have a new Slack channel for all things open source where you can talk directly to the project founders and maintainers on this show. Check it out at contributor.fyi slash Slack. You know, the core conflict of software engineering is to build reliable systems from unreliable components. But it's much easier if you are able to build reliable systems from reliable components. And Temporal's core obstruction, the workflow, is that reliable component that you can build reliable systems from. This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. Today we are discussing Temporal, an open source project to help people build cloud native applications. And we're going to get into more of how Temporal works. But before we do, let's acknowledge that this is the second time we're covering Temporal on the show. Maxime Fatib, who is here with us today, joined us almost two years ago. The project's come a long way and we're excited to get an update. And we're also joined by Dominic Torno, who's a principal engineer at Temporal. Maxime, Dominic, thanks for coming. Thank you for inviting me. By the way, we kind of uh, had a big discussion about that and now we kind of call it temporal. We had the kind of choice between temporal and temporal and we decided to standardize on temporal. Temporal uh, is not the name, it is temporal. Correct. Fantastic. Maxime, Dominic, you've been busy. So much has happened since we discussed. Usage is up. You've had some big announcements. Maybe you can just give us a couple of the highlights on some of the recent press around temporal. I think, uh, I don't remember exactly the moment we talked, but I think if it was two years ago, we actually uh, didn't uh, have Temporal as a product you could use. I think we were working on the fork of Cadence, and then uh, we, later that year, we announced actually V1 release, which we blessed for production use. And uh, I think the most progress around that happened is that actually right now, very large number of companies and projects use Temporal in production. The other big part which happened is that we started to work on our, what we call Temporal Cloud, which is SaaS offering. And we uh, right now have uh, quite a few paying customers running on our cloud. It's still not GA. We are targeting GA later this year. And uh, the way we define GA is that we will uh, practically unblock anyone who wants to use our cloud to participate. Right now, there is a very long wait list. That is kind of the main progress we made from the business point of view. The other thing which happened is that we closed our B round in December and we've got um, over $100 million with $1.5 billion valuation. So that uh, certainly helps us to keep growing uh, as fast as possible sustainably and uh, making sure that this project and the cloud offering will survive whatever, whatever is in front of us in terms of economy. Yes. I think you couldn't ask for a better two years since our conversation. A bunch of new users, a bunch of new capital and a lot of progress on the product. That's a great update. To give the listeners some background, normally we cover the history on a project, and we won't go into that a lot today. You can go listen to the prior episode, and there you would learn that Maxime was once at Uber, where he created uh, Cadence, and some of the innovation there also stems as far back as Amazon and Microsoft, where Maxime and Samar had both worked and developed similar predecessor technology. So this was, you know, a decade or more in the making, and now it's on the world stage after a big fundraise and a lot of growth on the product. Today, I wanted to talk about maybe a little bit more on how Temporal works, and then a little bit of how users are using Temporal in the wild, 
and how you communicate the value of Temporal to people. So maybe we can start with hearing a bit from Dominic, as he's new to the show, on how Temporal works. So Temporal, you know, interesting challenge about Temporal itself is to explain what Temporal is, what Temporal does, and what Temporal does for you. Because Temporal is actually a brand new programming paradigm or a brand new developer paradigm. So it was pretty hard for us, or it's still pretty hard for us to draw parallels or analogies so that uh, we can like easily explain what Temporal is. However, we have found one analogy that works pretty well. And uh, we found that analogy in the database community. And the database community for the last 40 years has enjoyed an unparalleled developer experience. So a database lets you write an application as if failure or concurrency doesn't even exist. And it does so with a fantastic developer experience. The database community created a core abstraction of transactions. So you have database transactions. And database transactions mitigate these adverse effects like failure or concurrent access on a platform level, making it entirely invisible on an application level. So whenever you see like your transaction, the set of SQL statements, you do not see that set of SQL statements dealing with failure, right? There is no if then else failure condition. All you see there is application logic. And we did not enjoy up to this point a similar developer experience in the context of distributed systems. But Temporal actually provides that developer experience that is similar to transactions. So our analogous would be the Temporal workflow. And a Temporal workflow addresses adverse effects like, for example, failure or time limits on a platform level, making it entirely invisible on the application level. So you can literally write your function code as if failures and time limits do not even exist. In short, you can say that a temporal workflow execution is a normal function execution. And that is actually the developer experience that we give you, but with additional execution guarantees. And that execution guarantee is that your function will run to completion. And in distributed systems, at any moment, any uh, set of nodes can crash on you. That is actually a fantastic guarantee. And with that, a lot of problems become trivial. You know, the core conflict of software engineering is to build reliable systems from unreliable components. But it's much easier if you are able to build reliable systems from reliable components. And Temporal's core abstraction, the workflow, is that reliable component that you can build reliable systems from. Got it. No, no, that is quite helpful. And you're building on the heritage, it sounds like, of other distributed systems. I want to say that one of the kind of early popular open source distributed systems was Hadoop or Google's MapReduce. And... If I recall correctly, one of the kind of core tenets of Hadoop is that we can handle machines failing at any point in time and the process continues, or at least we'd be able to report that a computation is accurate or not. 
at the end of it. But that's for one kind of singular data operation. And I think what you're describing is that this could span any kind of workflow backend process, ensuring that something gets executed correctly without having to go through the imperative declarations of if this, then do that, try this, if it fails, handle this situation. I just ask it to happen and it's ensured that it will eventually happen. You know, by definition, we could argue that as developers, the best we can ask for is a happy path, right? And, you know, if you have a whiteboard session and uh, you sketch out an algorithm, on that whiteboard, you will draw out the happy path. So it's like you basically assume that failure doesn't exist. Nodes do not go down. You do not lose packages. You just write down your core algorithm to communicate the idea, right? With Temporal, the developer experience we give you is that you actually, you follow that happy path. When you write a workflow, you are writing a function and uh, you can ignore a wealth of failure scenarios like lost packages or machines going down, machines coming back up. Temporal will guarantee that the workflow execution runs to execution. Now, there is an impossibility result in distributed systems, and that is you cannot have exactly once, right? So you have to settle for at least once or at most once. However, in case you can ensure that your side effects are idempotent, uh, we can give you the next best thing, and that is effectively once. And saying that your side effects are idempotent, we can guarantee that no matter what, no matter the failures, no matter the package loss, we can guarantee that uh, your workflow execution executes observably equivalent to exactly once. And that is a stunning guarantee. No, that is the ultimate guarantee. Very good. That is as good as it gets. Yeah. Just to make it a bit more practical is just that uh, when we say function, we actually do mean function in the programming language. And we map to multiple uh, programming languages, like we have SDKs in Java, Go, TypeScript, JavaScript, PHP right now. And we are working on Python and .NET and Ruby right now. So you just write normal Java code or Go code or TypeScript code. So you say something like uh, call this operation and this operation can take five days and it's still a blocking call, right? This is what we mean by the function is because uh, this process is not linked to a specific machine. So it's okay to wait for five days on a blocking call. And then five days later, when this call returns or fails, uh, just because it's present of timeout, because you specify timeout, how long you're willing to wait, then you can handle that. Or you can call something like sleep for 30 days. And then, for example, you can have a loop, normal like programming loop in Java, and for a loop and say for like 12 months and uh, every month just sleep for 30 days or whatever, like next period of time, and then charge customer and then send email. And this code is like normal production code. Imagine trying to do something like that out of the components you have now. You have a durable timer. You need to deal with retries. You need to make sure that you keep state somewhere. When you build a state machine, like these 10 lines of code become very complex state machine with a bunch of callbacks. That is kind of exactly what we mean when we have a function which actually we guarantee that it executes and doesn't care about time. You can absolutely block on anything for as long as necessary. Got it. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about the execution environment where it runs, because I'm imagining, like you described, that this can't run on a single machine, presumably, in the case that machine were to fail. This service was designed as a cloud service from the beginning. Mm-hmm. So the main assumption is that we don't run your code. It's like the same way if you're using a database, you have a database driver, you write your application, 
and database runs somewhere else, usually on a different machine, at least in production. And uh, the same thing with Temporal. So Temporal has a pretty evolved distributed system like what we call Temporal Cluster, right? Which uh, internally has multiple components, but it's all kind of just given to you. And then it uh, sits on top of an existing database. So we have bindings to different databases. Right now we support MySQL, Postgres, and Cassandra, but you can write more bindings if you want to. And then the code itself is part of your service. So Temporal is an open source project. Like even if you use our cloud offering, we don't run your code. Uh, it's not functions, for example. You can run it any way you want. You can run on your laptop. You can run it on Do- in Docker. You can run it on bare metal. Uh, it doesn't matter because it's just code which you run. You use a Temporal SDK library in the appropriate language. And all it needs is practically gRPC connection, being able to connect to the Temporal backend service. So your code is kind of a bunch of stateless, what we call worker processes. They sit there and they just wait for tasks to come from Temporal through long pole. So they never need to open ports or something. They always connect to the backend service. And then uh, when you actually, for example, start a new transaction for the money transfer, you will call to the backend service, say, start this with these arguments and so on. And then it will dispatch tasks to your worker process, which host your code. So uh, it means that code, we don't own code, it's just part of your service. You just link it to, with the appropriate library. And then there is a backend service, which takes, uh, it's more like uh, the same way as uh, any queuing system. There is backend broker and there is your application talking to that. So we are kind of the similar paradigm. It makes a lot of things actually awesome from security point of view, because think about it, is that none of these uh, processes need to open any ports, at least inbound ones, right? They don't listen on any events. They always do outgoing connection to the gRPC service, which can be obviously secured with MTLS and other properties. Also, because you run the code, you can, for example, encrypt the payloads there. So the backend service never sees an encrypted payload. So it makes a lot of security things much simpler. So it is pretty powerful. And then you just scale things out. If you need more capacity, you bring a larger database, or you just bring more temporal service uh, like instances, or you just bring more of your worker processes if you need to scale out. So the system scales out very linearly. We uh, So far, we were able to practice iterate any database which we uh, tried to run on. I think we ran up to like 200 Cassandra nodes on bare metal, like pretty large machines, and we were able to saturate that cluster 200%. So if I, if I were to kind of fit you in an application diagram, and people generally have an idea of what a, a traditional application looks like, maybe there's a database and there's some kind of front end and maybe there's load balancers, and where I have background processes or, or back end processes or, or workflows, that all goes to temporal now, and that's where you might fit in the application kind of architecture diagram. Yes. Practically, uh, every time you go beyond a single request reply, Yep. And you have yep. some state between requests or, or you need to manage some state or life cycle or you need to wait on durable timer. Temporal is a good fit. For example, as I said, money transfer is a very good example. You don't have transaction across two services. So you need to make sure that you do withdrawal and deposit and you guarantee that they eventually happen in the presence of failures. With Temporal, it will be like two lines of code. Again, I'm simplifying because at some point you want to deal with unrecoverable errors. So you need to do compensations. But again, it will be try-catch block around the second line. And you can just do compensations using normal Java error handling logic. And you can do a lot of those kind of things. Or you can do lifecycle. You can have a workflow function always running. It's like main method. And listening in the loop for external events and uh, aggregating their data or doing something around them. For example, you want to have, uh, I don't know, airline points. Like you're an airline. You want to implement this system of giving points or promotions based on the, your trips. So you can have object per customer, like millions of them. They will listen to events, of, for example, uh, completion of your trip events, 
and then uh, accumulate those points inside of the workflow code in, in their variables. They need to talk to database explicitly and then take actions like once a month based on whatever you call some services, say promote that customer to the next level, for example, or send them email saying, thank you, you had that many trips. So this can be modeled as practically just one piece of code. And then Tupor will take care that can run millions and hundreds of millions of those in parallel. And then you implement that logic like reliably. We've used word workflow, which confuses people because they kind of think about sequence of steps. But in our case, it is more like fault tolerant actor. And again, actor is also has a little bit different connotation, but you can think it is. Some people think about actors, you can think it this way as well. That is like actor, which is not linked to a specific machine, which survives practically any outages and still has all its state preserved all the time. And this is now coming full circle for me to Dominic's explanation earlier that you're creating an abstraction that's similar to a database transaction where I, I just send you data with an expectation of what you're going to do with it and you ensure it gets done. But in your case, in a database transaction, they're simply persisting the data where you're allowing for multiple steps to happen. Some of those steps are long running. Some of those steps have dependencies on other steps. And all of that will just kind of happen in the way I would expect without concern for failure, retries, and all that logic. Correct. Good way to describe that. Uh, shifting gears a bit. So last time when we talked, you know, you were kind of still new on the stage for a lot of people, and you were trying to figure out how to describe what Temporal is. And I think we, we call itself a workflow orchestrator in our last conversation, and you've come up with some additional terms. But this, this is still an open question, how you can kind of encapsulate such a broadly useful thing in just a, a few sentences for people. Yeah, I think the problem is that it's uh, practically a new category of software. Every company claims to have a new category of software, but uh, reality is it's our, what our users tell us. That's why it's hard because new category needs a new name, and then we need to educate people that what this name means. Imagine like 10 years ago, I came to you and said, I do container orchestration, for example. It would be meaningless uh, to anyone. Now we just know what it means. The same thing here. We have to, uh, I think one way Dominic describes that is actually code as workflow. Right, so it's code, but it's actually workflow. But again, workflow has connotation, which people, some people get people confused. But this lifecycle type object I described, people would never associate to a workflow. It is a new way to build a distributed system if you need reliability. So that's why we still didn't come up with the right name for that abstraction. So we are thinking yep. about it. Yep. The interesting thing is that temporal, uh, you can describe temporal as a new pair of glasses that uh, lets you see the world actually differently. And uh, there is also why it comes or it emerges that even so, we are basically using the word actor, which has more of an object connotation, or we're using the word workflow, which has more of a process connotation. But this new abstraction that Temporal provides is actually able to capture both of these aspects. And that seems to align very well with the real world and with people's mental models, because if you take anything in the uh, real world, like, for example, an order in an e-commerce system, an order definitely has object characteristics, right? It has an identity. It has an integrity. It's this order. It's an object. But it's not just an object, right? It has a state. It is in this step. Then it's in the next step. Now we're doing this step. So there is also a process characteristic to it. And usually because we are lacking an appropriate abstraction, what are we doing? We're basically separating this out in two different things, right? On the one side, you have a row in a database and that hopefully captures enough of the object characteristics. And on the other side, how are we going to do processes around that thing? 
well, there is one long running process where we can't run it in a long time. So we have to like chunk it up, right? Then wrap the individual chunks into retries and then stitch the retrying chunks back together via databases, queues, and cron jobs in order to make this process aspect work again, right? Yet we are lacking the integrity of the entire thing, that entire entity. And Temporal does away with all of that. So with Temporal, you can actually capture both the object and the process aspect in one abstraction. And that is why when uh, I talk a lot to our user in the, in, uh, to our user in the ecosystem, when they start adopting Temporal, and within a half an hour conversation, you can see them moving on from incremental improvements of what they have today to massive improvements by restructuring, rethinking their system, massive improvements, of course, only conceptually, but massive improvements within half an hour. There was a couple of categories on your website that I looked at before we met that I thought brought clarity to me. One was kind of business transactions and then business process applications. And we've kind of already spoke to these, but the business transactions make sense. You know, we mentioned database, similar to database transactions, but in some cases you're expecting more things to happen than is just encapsulated in the database. Like you want to ensure that a, a driver is given directions on an order or that a know your customer regulation requirement is met before a money transfer can complete. Tell me a bit about the business process applications. Maybe this goes, Dominic, to the workflows you were describing, where you know a single kind of request to Temporal can span several asynchronous steps. So there's an interesting driving forces. So the, the Temporal, if we think of the workflow execution as a function execution, but with the additional guarantee to execute to completion, right? That is applicable to a wide range of applications. So some of the business applications, we can argue that temporal workflow executions are used for short-lived, whatever short-lived means, but for short-lived executions, like, for example, as Maxime already said, money transfer, right? This shall happen quickly within a few milliseconds, at most a few seconds, but it must happen reliably. If I withdraw money from one account, I have to deposit it to the other account or to long lift for whatever long lift means here in times of all time is uh, where you have a business process that may actually span multiple minutes, multiple hours, multiple days up to where you say, you know what, servicing a mortgage for 30 years is exactly one business process. And you could actually capture that business process as one temporal workflow execution. And that would execute reliably over the course of the 30 years, collecting payments and eventually closing out the mortgage. So depending on the driver, what is the driver? And oftentimes the driver is, hey, short-lived, but must happen reliable. Or sometimes often the driver is, hey, really long-lived with lots of sleep time in between, right? Mortgage is active all the time, once a month, if you stick to the payment plan and be good. And yet also reliably. So these are basically the driving forces that make you reach for a temporal workflow execution or make you reach for a temporal workflow. Even so on the surface, this looks very, very different. It actually boils down to the exact same thing. Function execution that executes exactly once and to completion. It is like a new pair of glasses, maybe, if I understand you correctly, where your mortgage example, I think an alternative would be to to run a process that every month 
scans all the mortgages in your database and checks which ones need to be billed this month. But you're kind of describing a different world in which each mortgage is its kind of own function and it gets deployed in temporal. And I and normally I wouldn't do it that way because I would be like, well, I, I can't have 30 year running jobs. It's just not something. But temporal allows me to imagine that that were possible and ensures that it does. That is exactly it. And this is a blockade, the mind blockade. That's once that is lifted, Temporal is used not just for an incremental improvement. Temporal is used for a massive improvement where you restructure, reconstruct your system. Because as you said, there is no such thing as a 30-year running function execution, right? But yeah. with Temporal, there actually is, and we call it a workflow execution. And it will reliably run for 30 years. And one thing to add is just that uh, when we say function uh, for simplicity, but this function can have, uh, for example, in language like Java or Go, multiple threads. So it can spawn its own threads. It's more like main method, right? So mm-hmm. you can actually have multiple parallel things going on. You can uh, listen to asynchronous external events, react to them. So it's not just sequence of steps. It is absolutely can be as complex as you want can be fully asynchronous, can be synchronous, semi-synchronous, and so on. And I, obviously, in language like TypeScript, we use await async. We don't use threads, but you still get the same capabilities. So we are kind of doing it in appropriate way for every language. .NET and TypeScript use await, right? But uh, Java uses threads, and Go uses Go routines. I'm liking my new temporal glasses where I'm, I can now kind of fashion the world. You know, my data model becomes a bunch of temporal state machines or, you know, objects that exist as functions. And and if I need to cancel that mortgage, the application logic is written such that they could accept a cancellation event and process it accordingly. Absolutely. Yes. You know, I basically threw out everything that I learned in the last 15 years about software engineering, because obviously, how would we service mortgages just the way that you described? We have a database. In that database, the mortgages are all listed. We have a daily job that iterates over it. All of us would do it like that. And we wouldn't even question why we do that. Because every one of our function executions is short-lived. Every one of our function executions is bordered by one request-response pair, probably in front of a web server. And that web server cuts it off after 30 seconds to begin with. So you have to chunk it up into 30 seconds, uh, retry it via cron jobs, and so on and so forth. And none of us right, would ever spend a split second to question our decision. And then somebody puts a temporal workflow execution in front of you and then you start questioning all of it. I was like, wait, yeah, that actually runs reliable no matter what, durable no matter what. Why is a mortgage not just one function that runs for 30 years? That makes actually a lot of sense. Sleep 30 days, charge for 30 years, end of story. Of course, it's a fairly simple mortgage progress, so you probably have to throw in some edge cases, and that's why Temporal also has things like signals and queries. Now that our function runs 30 years, you probably want to interact with it, right? If a function runs for 30 seconds, you don't have to interact with it. You can just wait it out. If a function runs for 30 years, you can't wait it out. You may have to interact with it. You may have to want to cancel it, send it a cancel request, send it a termination request, or send it any signal, an application-level signal, for example, to adjust your monthly payment rate. So we have signals and queries as first-class citizens so that you can interact with these workflow executions. And yeah, you will structure your system entirely differently. I think one thing to add is not only about how you write code and how you design system. We are focusing on that right now. 
But there is a huge part of operating these type of systems, like how in production, if something goes wrong, how do I troubleshoot that? How do I get visibility in what's going on? How I make sure that I can patch my code if there is a bug there in the middle of executing that function, things like that. And Tipoil has support for the whole life cycle. It wasn't built just as a toy. It was built as a production system from the beginning with experience of like three previous production systems at a large scale cloud providers. So that's why we cover the whole life cycle. And it's very important. People like it not only because it simplifies the design and implementation, but because it's much, much simpler to operate. And visibility in what's going on is because we record almost every invocation of, for example, external functions, whatever. You see all arguments, you see everything which happened, you see all failures. So there is a lot of visibility and ability to operate things, which is, uh, I think, another big selling point. Okay, selling probably a bad word because it's an open source project, but uh, it is something which our uh, users uh, value a lot. Okay, I want to I wanna add to that because uh, there is like, if the last 15 years made me lose all my hair, Now it starts to grow back because there are amazing capabilities in that system that makes your life so much easier that all this stress just goes away. Let's imagine you have 100,000 workflow executions. These workflow executions, they run for half a year, right? And they all have been started already. They're a four month in. And now, unfortunately, we realize that in testing, it slipped us. There is an edge case, a certain combination of parameters we're going to run into a null pointer exception. Now what? Are like 20,000 workflow executions lost? Are they gone? They're already four months old. How am I going to catch up to them? Actually, they're not. So since Temporal, the workflow execution is durable, reliable, and scalable, and it guarantees to execute exactly once. If they're, if you're, or uh, observably equivalent to exactly once, if you hit that null pointer exception, the workflow execution obviously cannot make progress but it doesn't just cease to exist. It sits there and waits there. So it sits there and waits there. And then somebody eventually obviously is going to catch that and say, it's like, what's happening to our 20,000 workflow executions? Why are not making any progress? Let me look in the code. Damn, null pointer exception. What are you going to do? Fix the null pointer exception, deploy the new code, and all of the 20,000 workflow executions that were currently in danger, just take the next step and keep on going. Wow. So I'm I'm now trying to fit this new paradigm into the rest of my brain. In the world of like microservices, you kind of hide everything behind APIs. And I'm not an expert at this, but I, I assume these are kind of REST APIs. Do, does some of that go away? If everything's just kind of a function that I can deploy to Temporal, maybe I don't need all these REST interfaces. Exactly. You can think that function signature as a service. We obviously support what we call child workflows. It means that you can call this function as a blocking call if you want to, or asynchronously if you want to, from any other function. You can treat them as practice services. It's your signature, and there is a way to route requests to separate processes. In Tipoil, you can actually route requests to specific machine if necessary. But in this case, you say, okay, this is my service. My team owns that. This is my functions, like uh, workflows are exposed. And then other team can go and practically call them and use them as a practice service call. There is a PC, but it's all internal to Temporal. From your point of view, just making the call to this function can take 10 days or five months. It's still a blocking call. And all the other things about reliability, making sure things are routed to, obviously processes will go up and down all the time in the meantime, but you as a developer don't care about that. You just make a call, call happens, and this call can be owned by other team. So it is kind of, you can think it is more like service mesh for asynchronous requests, which can take a long time and guaranteed to execute, at least to be delivered. Obviously, you can always return failure, but it's your application logic failure, not the intermittent failure because of some process went down. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I would describe 
in my application, rather than creating a bunch of different REST endpoints, I would create first maybe a bunch of temporal workflows. I describe these functions that depend on one another and they get deployed to temporal and now my application works. And then if I want to expose elements of those to developers, I could stand up REST endpoints that also speak to different parts of my... No, you don't need to... Uh, no? Okay, if you want to... Okay, yes, yes. If you want to expose yep. it to somebody outside of Temporal... Exactly. Then you will do a REST endpoint. And for example, the very standard thing, you have web application or mobile application. They talk to your endpoint and endpoint will start workflows, send signals to those workflows events, query those yeah. workflows. So there is actually the blog post, a uh, series of blog posts... Uh, which describe for them how to use Temporal to implement a shopping cart. Uh, okay. Practically every time you add uh, an item to the shopping cart, it just stores that in a local uh, list practically of uh, items inside of the workflow code. And then uh, when you query, show the shopping cart, it just queries the workflow and returns that list. So not a direct database command, but then you can do things like, oh, if shopping cart was abandoned for one day, just sleep for like one day and then send notification to the user. Why did you abandon your shopping cart? And then like it becomes five lines of code, but if you're doing a traditional way, it will be a completely different subsystem to build that. And do I make fewer database calls because now the state of my world exists in temporal functions as opposed to in a database where I continue to log, this is where this shopping cart is at? I will say you do less database calls, but uh, temporal is heavily, uh, we, we do more writes because we right. record everything. For example, every time you send something, we will record that. Every time uh, some task completes, we will record that results. So you can see them not only for troubleshoot, but recovery. We do, we are right heavy. But because we cache those workflow instances in memory, and uh, if they're actively being worked on, we are not like loading them every time. They become very efficient. So if it's hard, practically hard copy in the memory, your operations like are very, very fast because all you're doing is single database writing in a lot of cases versus uh, loading from database, updating and saving back. And we are not saving the whole state. We are saving only events, right? We are kind of use event sourcing paradigm, but internally in our service. We don't expose it to developers as event yep, sourcing. Yep. We just give you high-level abstraction, but internally it is event sourcing. So every event is recorded. You can use it for, again, troubleshooting and all sorts of other cool features. You are correct, so that on an application level, you have less database calls. Well, you, don't, you don't need any in most cases. You don't need any. In effect, you're, you're making the database calls for me. As an app developer, I just talk to Temporal. Yeah. Yeah, and again, one thing which you mentioned, uh, which just to make sure, you said deploy app to Temporal. You don't deploy app to Temporal. Yeah. You deploy, deploy app using your deployment system to your own deployment, whatever you use, Kubernetes or bare metal or whatever. And all it needs to do is connect to Temporal cluster. And Got when it. you build your application, you link Temporal library. But Temporal doesn't run your code. You run your code usual way. So it can be... I see. You can even take an existing service and just make small part of your service, uh, for example, a distributed cron job. You can start small. One thing important about Temporal, it's not like all or nothing. Oh, now all my service should use Temporal. You can have a single like small cron job, which runs once a day as your starter application, right? And then you can grow it into the millions of crons, and then you can grow it in whatever else. So there is no need to kind of do all this big migration. You can always do it piecemeal. And most large companies are doing that way because nobody will go and change like 50, 100 services in one day to use Temporal. If we had more time, we'd, we'd go to so many other places. Let me make sure, Maxim, Dominic, we cover what you'd like to in our last maybe five minutes here. But I can't help but think that this paradigm that folks need, you know, the, the new glasses people have to put on applies to a lot more than I expected. I was kind of imagining you were mostly kind of back-end data processing or, or other kind of engineers, but really the application developers need to put on these glasses as well, I assume. How do you bring people around? I imagine there's a lot of open source 
project founders, creators who have the same predicament where they, they need people to kind of see the world in a new way in order to use their tools. And I'm curious what you could teach them. I wouldn't say we are perfect in terms of teaching that. I think most of our adoption is actually word of mouth. Uh, for example, we started at, at Uber. Uber is a large company and a lot of people move around. And uh, we hear almost every week that somebody from Uber comes to other company and says, okay, how do I use your technology in the new place? So it, because it's a mind shift, you start thinking about building applications differently. It's very hard to go back. So people, when they move around, they always tend to bring it with them. We see it multiple times. We actually had people resign because their company decided not to use, for example, temporal for whatever political reasons and moving to another company to work on the technology. We've seen that. And this is like, I think the largest part of adoption is that people just talking and uh, kind of communicating. And in general, most of our users are extremely happy about uh, the usage. And you can go to our Slack channel, like go temporal.io. And uh, there is a link to Slack channel, there is a link to co- a forum posts. You can just talk to the community. Everything is very open. It's not like, you don't need to take my word on that. Actually, uh, just to give you some funding stories that we are closing our A round, our partner, Bogomil from Sequoia, he practically, all he did, he just went to our forum and pinged everyone practically there saying, okay, uh, can I talk to you about this company? And the people were pinging me back, like, why is like this VC is asking us? And uh, at the end, he got such a positive feedback and he, and people are very pretty open about type of companies because most companies don't go public about the usage of Temporal because, you know, like these huge enterprises, they're not very comfortable about talking about small startups. But in private conversations, people sometimes can say that, right? And uh, like uh, VCs look at them, oh, wow, like uh, this is the actual usage and they are planning to use more and they're super happy about it. And it was no brainer, I think, from their point of view is like why to close us, even if you... Like just from the user's point of view. So I think everyone is welcome there. Talk to our users, talk to us and learn it. I think for us, it's most important thing is people to learn about this. You don't have to use it, but at least understand this new concept, understand what's possible. And then, yeah, you make a decision. If you want to go with database, you can do it. But I think at least you will make a conscious choice. Right now, this abstraction is still not very well known. Certainly. I had been through an interview with you already, and I don't think I fully understood it. And what's next for the company? You've had quite a couple of years. What are you looking forward to this year? Our main uh, goal is uh, adoption because we think that having strong open source project is the most important achievement we can have. And uh, we don't believe we can build business around non-popular open source project. One of the things which we are going to have this year is a conference, first time temporal conference. It's one day only at this point, but uh, it will be August 26th. Please visit our website and we'll have information there how to join. And uh, the, the other things which we are focusing on is uh, making sure that uh, we are we will have GA of our cloud offering. So we want to un- un- go and unblock everyone who wants to use it and don't want to host Temporal Server themselves. And otherwise, we're just growing our company. We want to make sure that uh, both cloud offering and open source project get enough re- love from us uh, too. And we also want to build a more open source community. We want more contributions. That is another uh, goal we have. Have meaningful contribution from outside of Temporal as a company. Because uh, it's, a, it's important for any open source project, uh, I think, uh, long, longevity, longevity. Great. L- listeners can find uh, details in the show notes, um, or you can go straight to the Temporal website. I'm sure they'll find everything you need there. To add to that, so the Temporal community is super welcoming. So if you join the Temporal Slack, it's not only it's like the uh, Temporal team, it's also the, the community that's going to help and answer questions. And I want to say that I meet a lot with our users. So if you join the Slack, you can just 
reach out to me. And then I meet a lot with our users. Usually it's anywhere between like half an hour or an hour. And then we look at it, like your use cases and your requirement, your architecture. And then usually within, within half an hour, it is fairly obvious whether Temporal is a good fit. And then also how to approach your particular problem with Temporal as a solution. So there is a one-to-one aspect that we're still doing. But as Max said, we also need to do a good job, a better job in explaining the core concepts and then also the mechanic of the core concepts without that one-on-one aspect. But I just want to throw it out there. Fantastic. No, those are fun anecdotes on how somebody gets a project going and, and bring people around to their point of view. Maxime, Dominic, this has been a wonderful time together. I, I hope in a couple of years we can do this again and get the latest update. Oh, that would be awesome. Thank you. Thank you. You can subscribe to the podcast and check out our community Slack at contributor.fyi. If you like the show, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, and this has been Contributor.